God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. For God, our rock, and our redeemer. Well, we are in a sermon series entitled Lessons in the Wilderness for Following the People of God, the Israelites, through their wilderness journey. And as we follow them, we're learning lessons with them. Some lessons are positive. We learn from the good things they do, the examples they set. Some lessons are negative. We learn uh, to avoid the things they did, some of the bad choices they made. And the passage from Numbers 13 is the latter. It is a, a cautionary tale, a story to avoid, an example to avoid. And I want to do two things this morning. First is let's walk through the passage together. It will be helpful for you to bring your Bible. You know there's no hymnals nor Bibles in the pews. Uh, so and the majority of the passage is printed, but not all of it. So it may be helpful for you to bring your Bible with you this Sunday and other Sundays. We'll walk through the passage and then I'll make two points of application for us. So let's begin. As we think about this passage, the first thing that jumps out to me is it begins with a command and a promise. Command and a promise. The command is send man to spy. There you go. Command and the promise is to the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. And that is the promise. The promise of a land is a well-rehearsed promise for the nation of God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, some five, six hundred years ago, one of the first acts that God did when he began his process of reclaiming uh, us for himself is he called one man, Abraham. And that one man, he said, I will make you a nation, and I will give you a land. And Abraham set off towards that land. And that promise that Abraham would be a great people and Abraham would have a land is a, a promise that is rehearsed in his life. We hear it first in Genesis chapter 12. We hear it again in Genesis chapter 15. You can follow along with some sermon, sermon notes in your outline, in, in, your, uh, in your leaflet. This promise is reaffirmed to Abraham's children, both Isaac and Jacob, are told again that you will have a land and you will be a great people. And then in the book of Exodus, the, 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 which begins Israel's journey into the wilderness, God tells Moses, Moses, I am going to take you to a good land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the very land promised to to Abraham many years ago. So, in light of this repeated promise that the land is theirs and that the land is good, the purpose of this command to go inside is not really reconnaissance, it's more a test of their faith. How will they respond? So that's our first observation about this passage. How will these spies respond to the good land? And we'll see the land is good and not good. Tired of it, there's an asterisk beside it. So, following along in your sermon, I'm actually going to skip the next one, which just tells about the, 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 the commission and the sent of the number of spies and those, those that covers verses 3 through 20, although it's a 
perfectly valid point, still not relevant to what I will enjoy from at the end. So we're going to skip point two, and we're going to jump to the familiar journey, which is in verses 21 and 22. So the spies are commanded in sin, verses 3 through 20 tells us who the spies are, and then verses 21 through 22, we're told the journey of the spies. It's not in your service to leave us, so let me uh, tell you what it says. We're told the spies entered the promised land in, in the nation of Israel as on one shore, the opposite shore of the Jordan River. Across that river lies the promised land. These spies were sent out, and verse 21, we're told, uh, Numbers chapter 13, we're told that the spies entered the land of promise at a place called Negev. And at the uh, end, uh, their, their espionage starts in a place called Negev, and then it ends at a place called Hebron. And these are two small cities in God's promised land. Now you may be thinking, so what? What does that matter? Well, it just so happens that Abraham's journey to the promised land, or in the promised land, followed the exact same path. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is told, go to a land that I will give you. So Abraham sets off. And would you believe the place where he enters the promised land is the place called Negev? Further, at the end of his life, Abraham owns a small piece of land. Do you know what he owns? He owns a funeral plot. It's a reminder of God's timing. Uh, he does fulfill his promises. Abraham does have a land at the end of his life, but it's just a small portion, just a funeral plot where he and his wife is buried first, then he is buried, then Isaac and Jacob and their wives. As a matter of fact, remember Joseph? He went to Egypt. Well, one of Joseph's last commands is, please take my bones back to the burial place, back to the promised land. And you know where that burial site is? Of all places, it's in Hebron. So, the journeys of spies begins in the same place Abraham's journey began, and the journey of the spies ends in the same place that Abraham's journey ended. Perhaps, as their journey of the spies ended, they even saw the place of Abraham's burial. They saw the burial site of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, etc. Surely, this reminder of God's faithfulness will help them come to the right conclusion, help them pass their test of faith. Sadly, no, it does not. So we move on to the next point in our story, a mixed report and divided counsel. The spies report about the land is next. Verse 27, it is a good land. It is a land that flows with milk and honey, just as God said. However, asterisk, it's not just that the produce is great, there are also great people there. Amalekites, Hittites, etc. That's in verse 29 of the passage. And so this mixed report leads to divided counsel. Some of the spies say one thing, the majority of the spies say another, something else. Verse 30, chapter 2, good spies, Caleb is one of them. Verse 30 of our passage, Caleb quieted the people 
and counsel, let us go up at once, let us occupy the land, we are able to overcome. That's the minority voice of two. Ten other voices counsel no. They're too big. Threat too dangerous. Too strong. And note in verse 32 and verse 33, as they spoke, they exaggerated the threat. They're just like grasshoppers. They devalued the promise. The land of our residents inhabitants. And we can imagine, remember Caleb was described as speaking quietly, settling the people down. God said it. We can believe it. We can overcome. We can imagine this group of ten increasing as they exaggerated the uh, condition, increasing in volume, and the rest is history. And they are right on the shore of the Jordan River. They throw a stone to the promised land. It should have been a day of victory, but it is, of course, a day that lives in infamy. And the entire nation of Israel, a number that surpassed 603,000, camped on the south shore of the Jordan River, sided with the majority report, and decided to not go in to the promised land, saying it would have been better than we died in Egypt. But if they died in the wilderness to come here with this, uh, and to die at the hands of the people in the promised land. For the lack of faith, they received exactly as they requested. They did die in the promised land. All 603,000 Israelites died over the next 40 years as they wandered. All died save two faithful spies Joshua and Caleb. They alone. Out of this great army, they alone are the ones that entered the promised land. So there is our story. I wonder how this applies to us. There are many points of application. A cautionary tale about the cancer of grumbling. It's spread. But to me, there are two things that jump out. First, warning is a warning against complexities which lead to doubt as opposed to a simplicity of faith. By complexities which lead to doubt, I'm simply referring to the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all those things that they saw which cast a little bit of shadow on God's promise. And that is contrasted with the simple faith of Caleb and with Joshua. I want to share a contemporary example of someone who had a simple faith, a commendable, simple faith. I've referenced this biography on Bill Graham that I read, a legacy of a couple. Early in Graham's life, he worked for an organization called Youth for Christ. He had some initial successes. But some of his peers began to question some of the fundamentals of, of their faith and some of the fundamentals of their belief. Questions like, can you really trust in the Bible? One of his close friends, Billy Graham's close friend, was a man named Chuck Templeton. And Chuck Templeton told Billy Graham, 
Millimeter faith is 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is just too, here's the word, simple. He writes about this in his own autobiography, Graham's autobiography. He writes, the intellectual problem I was wrestling with for the first time since my conversion as a teenager was the inspiration and authority of the Bible. Seeming contradictions and problems with interpretations that define my intellectual solutions. And his faith really hung in the balance. Now, what did he do? He went to this, a lady named Henrietta Mears who had a counseling conference center. And apparently, Henrietta Mears is one of these saints that has had a disproportionate impact uh, providing counsel and godly support to people like Bill Wright, the founder of Camp Crusade, and she served in a vital moment in Graham's life. So under her counsel and at this conference center, uh, Billy Graham, deeply unsettled, went for a walk. And on what he describes as on impulse, he knelt down by a tree stump. And that tree stump served as a pedestal for his Bible, which he was carrying. He set his Bible on the tree stump and he knelt beside that stump. But instead of reading, he began to pray. And he acknowledged the many things that he did not understand. He acknowledged that he did not have satisfactory answers to all the questions that his friends posed. But Graham, as he describes through his tears, prayed, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my questions and go beyond my doubt. That was a pivotal moment in his life. That day forward, his crusades were always marked and peppered with these words of Bible sense. In contrast, his friend Chuck Templeton, who began by questioning parts of the Bible, eventually rejected it entirely. Late in his life, he not only rejected the Bible, he rejected the faith. And Chuck Templeton wrote a book titled Farewell to God. My reasons for rejecting the Christian faith. And in this book, despite his differences with his friend Billy Graham, he still wrote this about him. There is no feigning in him. He believes what he believes with an invincible innocence. That is a Invincible innocence. The 116th Psalm, the sixth verse, says, The Lord preserves the simple. Not the simple minded, not the simple ten. The Lord preserves the man, the woman of simple faith. Men like Graham, men like Caleb, the good side, who maybe he had a moment. Who he weighed the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Humanites. Maybe he had one of these questions and said, God, I, I believe what you say. I will follow you. That, in contrast to the ten of those spies who knew what God said, but allowed the worldly calculations to enter, to uh, allow their calculation to be clouded by complexity, which led to doubt, which led to disobedience. 
I believe every day you and I face questions of obedience or disobedience or trust or fear or courage or cowardice or action or paralysis. And I simply want us to remember that the Lord preserves the simple. A simple thing. The first observation, the second observation is this. That we are susceptible to the persuasion of others. Extremely susceptible to the persuasion of others. And from our story, the people of God, 603,000 plus, uh, they are all swayed by the persuasion of others. The same is true for us. Simple faith may sound good. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It sounds great in the confines of a church. But boy, when you go out to Monday, you encounter the complexities of the real world. It doesn't sound so simple. You and I are always being buffeted by voices outside, inside, direct, indirect, even sort of the ruminations of our own mind that cloud our faith. We are all susceptible to the counsel of others. We, like them, need to tune our ears to the voice of the good spies. Two, the minority report, not the ten, the loud. And there are two spies. Caleb is front and center in our story this morning, but there's another good spy, and it was Joshua. Now, he's in the background, but he did have a book of the Bible named after him, so he eventually gets to the foreground. Uh, Joshua, you may know this, is simply another name for Jesus. So Hebrew, Yeshua, Jesus, is pronounced Joshua, Joshua. So just a slight variation of the name. Let me tease out this image for you that I believe that Jesus is a good spy, like Joshua was a good spy. I know it's hard to think of a spy as something positive, but think of it in this light. Jesus is the good spy in that he has gone ahead of us and he knows what is to come and he brings back a good report. Jo Joshua went to the promised land and he brought back a good report that it is a land flowing with milk and honey in one of the passages of Genesis. There's a, the image of the, the two spies carrying a, um, a huge cluster of grapes on a stick. Uh, he brought back evidence of promised man's goodness. Well, friends, Jesus, our Joshua, has been to the promised land. The New Testament says that Jesus brought life and immortality to light. What's that mean? It means that no one knew what lay beyond the grave. It was clouded in darkness. What happened? I don't know. You know, I don't know. But Jesus brought life and immortality to light. At his death, he went to our eternal promised land. He spied it out. And at his resurrection, he brings back a good report. Just like Joshua bearing the uh, cluster of grace, Jesus assures us that the promised land is real and it is good. The resurrection of the just is not a figment of your imagination. It is real. And he brings back a good report. Like Caleb's report, Jesus' report to us is God is good. His word is trustworthy. Walk faithfully with him, and you will come. You will overcome whatever challenge lies in your way. And the people of God in this story were tortured by uncertainty. 
face the Amalekites, the Hittites, etc. They were plagued by inadequacy. They became paralyzed by fear. And ultimately, they were unwilling to press on in their journey because they listened to the voice, the loud voices of the ten, which questioned God's goodness and the reliability of his word. And it took years to hear the quiet voice of the two. And I simply want to encourage us that in this, to whatever challenges you are facing, not the Amalekites, the Hittites, or the whatevers, but whatever specific challenges that you are facing, of disappointment, of insecurity about job, or what's going to happen in the future, I want you to know that there is a quiet voice, the voice of a good spot, Jesus. And like Caleb before him, Jesus is assuring you and me that God is good. His word is reliable. Trust him. You are able to overcome. It takes years. It takes a practice here to hear the voice of the good spy over the tumult of the others. And a listening ear is only developed over time. As we open God's word daily, as we offer our prayers to Him constantly. So I want to encourage you every day this week to open God's word, to open your ears to hear His quiet voice, saying what those spies said so long ago. Yes, there are challenges. Absolutely. God is good. His word is reliable. Trust in and you can overcome. Now let me pray for us. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and the love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest with you, remain with you always. Amen. Please rise for our final hymn.